Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is brought to you by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the best paints and pigments in acrylic, oil, and watercolor. You can find Golden in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. You can learn more about the employee-owned company there along with info on their products, their history of social responsibility, and more. Sound & Vision is also brought to you by Topo Designs, the official transport bag of Sound & Vision that makes sturdy bags that will hold your laptop, podcast, mics, and much more. Check them out at topodesigns.com. This week on Sound & Vision, a re-release of a conversation with Devin Shimoyama on the occasion of his opening of Devin Shimoyama Crybaby, his first museum solo exhibition at the Andy Warhol Museum. Spanning his young career, the exhibition includes painting, photography, and sculpture, and a series of new works that will be on view for the first time. Devin received his BFA from Penn State University in 2011 and his MFA from Yale in 2014. He's exhibited throughout the United States, including the Buck Gallery, Leslie Heller and Kravitz Webby Gallery in New York, Samuel Freeman Gallery and Zavitas Marcus Gallery in Los Angeles, Alter Space in San Francisco, Emanuel Gallery in Denver, and internationally at Freeze London, and in Realities and Contemporary Video Art at the Foundation des Etats-Unis in Paris, France. His work has been featured in publications such as the Los Angeles Times, the New York Times, New American Paintings, Vice, Creators Project, and Saatchi Arts Best of 2014. Devin is currently a professor at Carnegie Mellon University and lives and works in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This was Devin and I talking in his solo booth with STEMS Gallery at the Independent Art Fair in 2017. Here's our conversation. So, um, how you doing? I'm good. I'm really good. Good to be in New York or stressful? Um, it's a little stressful. I mean, going to all these fairs is, feels like a chore, but it's... Did you go to all of them? No, I'm trying to... Uh, I actually am trying to avoid a lot of them as best I can. I have a few friends in uh, Volta, a couple... Of, spring not, break? Uh, spring break, a yeah. lot of people I know. So I, I, I saw that one. So those are, I'm limiting myself. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and the armory is a trek. They're all pretty yeah. far apart. They are, yeah. So, um, yeah, before we get into this work, mm-hmm. let's talk about Philly and yeah. when you, where you got your start. Yeah, Philly. Um, I've never moved from, you know, my childhood home is still the same. My bedroom's the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and Philly... Philly's great. I mean, I love Philly. I love going back there. There's, I have a lot of friends that recently moved there um, out of grad school, and they're starting up galleries, artist-run spaces, collaboratives, things like that, and it's got a lot of good energy there. Um, and when I was in high school, I would uh, like sneak out. I was in orchestra, actually, at Central High School, mm-hmm. and I would... Uh, my uh, head of the school, or the head of the orchestra... My advisor, I guess, um, had this pack of get out of school early slips that I found and a stamp with his name. So I just would Took leave and go down, <laughs> go down all these weird galleries in different spots um, with a few of my friends when I was in school. And so that's kind of like... Was it an arts high school or just regular? No, Central is uh, a... Uh, Big public school? It's, not, it's a magnet school, that's what okay. they call it. And so it's somewhere in between. Like You have to apply to get in. And it's an academic school, though. But it is public. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you don't have to pay to go. Did you live far from the school? Um, it took me usually about 45 minutes to get there on the bus. I mean, wow. But if I drove, it, when I was driving, it would only take like 20 minutes or something. Yeah. How was the, the art teachers? Um, you know, I, t- <laughs> I took uh, photography and that was, I was really bad at that. So I, <laughs> I ended up just like to get a good grade, I would just like help with cleaning up. <laughs> um, I don't know, I wasn't really that into the art classes there. I, I ended up taking a lot of classes at, um, outside of our school. So I would go take figure drawing at UArts or at uh, 
Art Institute or PAFA, and um, and I've been doing that since I was 14, going and taking figure drawing classes. So that's really where I was making a lot of drawing. I was mainly drawing it. I didn't really start painting until I got to Penn State. Well, were yeah. your were your parents big into the arts? Is that what got you into it, or were you just you just found it? It's something that I always did. My mom um, went to school for fashion design, but mm-hmm. then. Um, she like dropped out. My grandfather. I've always been in music, so I always pretty much was uh, um, like my whole life growing up. I had played instruments, yeah. and so I was sort of deciding between the two when I went into college what I would really want to do. Yeah, yeah. Were you an forward. only child, or did you have brother? Only child. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The only child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're just doing stuff on your own. Yeah, just doing it by myself. Um, with orchestra, was nice because there was a, also a community there. With art, um, that was always just something that I I was good at drawing, and so I kept my you know my family kept pushing me to do more things or finding programs. They were really proactive and supportive of me um, with that type of stuff. And yeah. with the music, did you just when you were really young, did you have did you get like a first instrument and just find the love? Yeah, of it that way? yeah. Uh, violin is my first instrument that I played, but I also played um, viola is maybe my main instrument that I ended up playing. But I can I played uh, viola, violin. Um, I can play upright bass. I'm terrible at cello, but I've had to do it sometimes to fill in for people. <laughs> um, and I can play oboe and piano. And what was the music um, in the all, house when you were young? Uh, you know, nothing like what I was playing. Um, you know, I was playing mainly classical music um, in school or jazz. And then uh, at home, it was a lot of, um, I guess, you know, my grandpa, my grandpa was in a band. Like, he, he had his own band. They would play kind of like funk music or um, R&B or that type of stuff in the household. That. So, yeah. Well, was, no, like, did yeah. he record? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's still in the band. What was the name of the band? Is it same oh, band? I don't, I don't remember the name of the old band. He has a new band now. I'd have, I'll have to ask him. I have to ask. Yeah. But there's records out. Um, I think he has them all. I don't oh, know okay. if they're like massively released. Right. <laughs> you know, they're not accessible. I don't. I don't know if you can get them on iTunes, but I'll, I'll find out. And did he session too? Like, did he play with a lot of other people, or was it? Yeah. Just no, his? it was a it was a band. So he had um, a, it was a group of uh, maybe. I think four or five of them, and um, and he would play guitar and bass guitar, and sometimes he would play synth. Um, and they performed at a bunch of different locations um, in Philly or the Jersey area. Yeah, and Philly's got a good music scene. Right? Yeah, so he was performing at you know you know bars and clubs and jazz clubs and things like that. Yeah, and, um, yeah. Yeah, I remember the first time I visited Philly. I I don't know. It was somewhere near South Street, right? Is the the main drag? I mean, that's like. Yeah, if you're gonna go to Philly, you have you go to go there. Yeah. yeah, it's like what's that in Pittsburgh? The um, um, Carson Street or not Carson? No, um, Walnut? No, not Walnut. No, not Walnut. What's the one um, in the, where the Beehive and all that stuff used to be? I don't know if it still is. Like but you mean over in South like East? Oh, in Southside? Yeah. And that I guess it is Carson. That, that was kind of like about. our yeah. old hangout. Mm-hmm. That's where the hippie. Yeah. The hippie like rusted root crowd yeah. would hang out with oh, the punk wow. rockers. <laughs> <laughs> they have a. Um, you know, they call it a speakeasy uh-huh. over on Carson. Mm-hmm. Has no signs or anything. It just oh, has yeah. a candle in the window. Mm-hmm. It's a great, uh, it's a great place. And now it's becoming like everybody knows about it. So, and it's not a real speakeasy. Do they have music though? Uh, yeah, yeah, they have live That's bands cool. playing in the back, which is cool. Yeah. Well, when I first went to Philly, the, yeah. the very first thing I did was go to a coffee shop because that was like the artsy yeah. thing to do. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, I and there was a. There was a guy playing piano in a coffee shop, and I just remember he was really good jazz mm-hmm. pianist. And he was playing, he would take, he's like, you guys want to hear something? And we we're like, oh, we didn't know that much about mm-hmm. it at that point. We were like, John Coltrane, he just bust out a song. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Wow, that's so cool. we had a good early music impression of Philly. Yeah. So good. you you went to high school, mm-hmm. were doing art inside and outside of it, and mm-hmm. then you decided... Oh, what was your college choice? It's I mean, funny. Um, I was really lazy with applying to college. <laughs> I, applied, I halfway applied to Pitt just because it was in Pennsylvania. And then I, I applied to Penn State. And then uh, I had a few friends applying to NYU, so I, I applied there as well. Mm-hmm. But when I applied to... I, had, I didn't know any working artists, so I, I didn't apply. I only applied to NYU for art. And I got in... Um, but I applied to Penn State for, for a more realistic, uh, what I thought of a realistic job that I could, 
actually get. Um, so I applied with something else that I was good at, and I was pretty good at life sciences and interested in it generally. So I applied to Penn State for that, but I applied to NYU for art. And I got into both, and I just picked um, Penn State mainly because I thought that I, I really don't love being in New York for a long period of time. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I thought that it would really stress me out and freak me out and like kind of scare me away. I, I've had friends that graduated before and went to school in New York and then dropped out in some mm-hmm. capacity or going in and out. And I really, 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 really just wanted to do my four years, get my degree and be done. Was tuition then, part of it too? Because it's um, not cheaper to go to Penn State in state. It is. That's who. Yeah, so, NYU um, is not cheap. Is not cheap. <laughs> I mean, it was insane. But, I remember looking at that and being like, I'm going to school for art for this amount of money. Yeah. Like, no way. So, yeah, I, yeah I, went, I went with Penn State, and um, halfway through, I uh, changed my major randomly. Just, I just woke up one day, and I was like, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and I changed my major to art. Um, and then I really uh, didn't expect or anticipate staying at Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I'd change my major to art, build up a portfolio, and reapply to Tyler, which I did. Right. Um, but then, I don't know, something about the community at Penn State, and it, it, the arts there, I mean, the professors were so supportive, and I think it was nice to be, to find a small niche within that weird, bizarro place of yeah. Penn State Central PA. Um, and it felt really unique and special, and I thought that it was worth staying. Yeah, you really have yeah. to carve out yeah. your You have to make it your own there. Yeah. Because it is not an art no. place. It's Not basically, um, it's a sports place with some, some good art hidden in it, I think. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, because you didn't think to apply straight to art school since um, you were so into art? When no, you were... I mean, I did. I applied to NYU and that was it. And then I applied to Penn State. I was like, I'm going to pick between, I'm going to let fate decide. Right. <laughs> but I got into both. So I just picked the cheaper option. And you didn't apply to Philly schools because you wanted to I didn't want to live in Philly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I went, I grew up mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh, and I went to Pitt for one semester. Yeah. And it was not not a good thing. It to felt be. like going to Tyler right after um, high school was going to high school part two. Yeah. I mean, everybody went to Temple from my, my high school, so. Yeah. Yeah, I needed a change. So you, so, and then you went to graduate school right after? Uh, it took a uh, no. year off, yeah. That's one right. year, yeah. So you took the path of university and university over yeah. art school and art school. How does that yeah. feel now at this point? I feel great about it. Yeah. I feel like a little smarter yeah. than, I, than I think I would have been yeah. otherwise. Um, I mean, I, I did the same thing for choosing high schools, too. I, I mean, I applied to Kappa in Philly, and I applied to Central. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I end up always choosing uh, having some sort of academic structure or component to um, my education because I think it's important it, it helps me think more and what I'm making in, in, in a more informed way and I think that that's really important to you know a lot of my work is fueled from reading whether it's I mean not like critical theory I actually kind of can't stand that stuff sometimes yeah. I think it's a little I think it's a little too heavy but um, uh, I do think that a lot of the things that I read are um you know, I read a lot of fiction. I read a lot of, uh, like, weird sci-fi, uh, fantasy stuff, fairy tales, folklore. But I also read a lot of prose and poetry. And um, I w- probably w- wouldn't have no- known much about that stuff unless I had that education. Yeah. Did you take some good electives when you were in grad school? Yeah. Um, I took a really interesting film class. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a queer cinema th- from... An, I forget what the bracketed years were, but starting somewhere around like the 1920s, up through wow. uh, up through now. That's actually. the long, the long <laughs> um, look. Yeah, that yeah. must have been really interesting over time. No, it was incredible. I mean, and the stuff, uh, you know, from that time, or actually, I think it started yeah, 1920 to 1990s. Mm-hmm. I think is what, where we stopped. But um, it was amazing. It was taught by George Chauncey, and he, uh, you know, all of the texts that I was reading were informing the the films that I was watching so I Mm -hmm. think that that's important to have um, an academic component to something that's artistic Um, it really I don't know it rounds things out it makes it make more sense to me it's rooted in something that's logical Um, yeah did you feel like the cinematic narrative Mm -hmm. or at least the visual cinematic might have bled into your studio a bit 
Um, definitely. I mean, I was looking at a lot of stuff that was, I mean, that sort of narrative structure and having th- things be heavily coded and sort of, sort of uh, like a queerness kind of buzzing underneath the mm-hmm. actual film and the narrative that was being displayed. Um, I think that really influenced. I mean, I was watching like Marlon Riggs, but also reading Marlon Riggs. Right. And then, um, you know, so I think, uh, but then also watching like Hitchcock films and seeing how that just, structure of film and narrative telling can be um, I, I don't know, I think the stuff that I was reading was really informing that or shedding, shedding light on some of that stuff so um, definitely came in and out of the studio a lot of my we had to write papers for that class so instead I would make work. Oh really? Yeah in That's response cool. yeah. Nice. Did you have that element in your work before that like when you were an undergrad do you think or were you just sort of more experimenting with material and image more yeah. purely and then it got more complex definitely more like the latter so I was absolutely um, I don't know at Penn State I was definitely just I mean pouring a bunch of paint and seeing what was happening mm-hmm. um, playing with materials figuring out how to properly prime surfaces in a variety of ways to make certain types of marks um, things like that I think really changed uh, how I I mean all of that was really how I learned how to make the stuff that I'm making now technically mm-hmm. but I think when I got to Yale I started to really think about content more and context and how um, different things are coming in and sort of bleeding into my mind and manifesting itself or realizing itself in my work and so I, um, I think through conversations with my peers and with um, professors and critics and things like that I started to shed light on things that were Activated in the paintings through things that I didn't even realize that I was reading and thinking about. Yeah, yeah. I think anytime someone makes the case against graduate school, yeah, I do think the one plus of it is that confluence of um, a couple extra years to make more intense work. Yeah, the community, the discussion that happens there. Yeah, because, and I mean, even now, I just got you know, I came into town the other day and I'm staying with three of my friends from grad school. Mm-hmm. I go to my friend's studio, who she just started up a space over in uh, Crown Heights. Mm-hmm. She bought out a floor of a building and um, built up a bunch of studios, and there were like eight people from Yale in some capacity, or um, friends of friends, and they have a community there now, and they do studio visits and things like that with each other, and I think without grad school, I don't know how attainable something like that is. Yeah. That and, it's, and it's so um, concentrated, mm-hmm. because you're triangulating your discussions in class, which don't necessarily directly, you know, approach your work, but Mm -hmm. you're just thinking about ideas, then you're talking about ideas between other people, and then you're talking to professors and visiting artists about your own work. It's kind of a nice, you know, concentrated time. I guess some people need it, some people don't. Some people just need to go. Yeah. I mean, definitely, even while I was there, I could tell there were a couple people that I was like, they don't need this, or they don't want to be here. Yeah. You know, it's not helping them in any way. Right. They're just yeah. like, oh, I, I got here. Yeah. I, I mean, they got it. there and had no interest in the com- community aspect, which I think is actually number one. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> um, what you're paying for, really. Yeah. It's like... You're, you're paying for a network, almost, yeah. of people. Yeah. Yeah. But it's more important yeah. than just, like, networking. It's, yeah. No, it's... It's, it's, like, a, it's actual, like, you're... Um, you're getting valuable feedback from peers and friends and... Um, uh, just, it's more genuine than just a network. Right. You know, genuine relationships than that. Yeah. And there's always the one or two people who've been out of undergraduate for like 10 years and they're yeah. just going to grad school for the two-year vacation. <laughs> like you never see them. Yeah, and you never see them. They're just, yeah, you never see them in their, um, you know, they're just in their studios working or they're at home. And yeah. you, that's it. They're just cooking dinners <laughs> yeah. and yeah. taking their time. Yeah. And, and then I think when you're out of school for a long time, yeah. you kind of understand, oh yeah, that... <laughs> it's like what... I'm doing right now. Yeah. You know how some people say don't go directly to grad school? I think if I waited a long time and went back, I'd be like, well, this is nice. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't have that. I mean, I'd have energy, but not that straight out of the gate energy. Right. I'd have that, like, I'm going home at 8 p.m. and watching some movies energy. Yeah, and there's a lot of socializing, too, that comes along with it. And there's so many critiques and things that you should attend or events or openings, whatever. And, you know, you have that energy when you're, you know, you're, fresh out of undergrad or, you know, only a couple years out and you want to do all of that stuff and really engage with people in that way. It's yeah. Did you have good visiting artist experience? Yeah, I had some good, some not so good. Yeah. Um, I think uh, a lot of, 
what's really valuable is figuring out um, how to filter all of that information you're getting. You know, you would have like 14 different people in your studio throughout a semester. Yeah. Like, you know, and you're getting so much conflicting feedback and um, you have to find out what's valuable to you and I thought that that was really useful for me. Yeah. yeah. You know that game when you were a kid and you spin around in a circle for like a minute yeah. and then try to like not oh, fall? Oh, try to walk. Oh my God. That yeah. is basically the grad school experience there. <laughs> it's like you're just... There's and so some people just people. have better balance. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Some people can ignore that spinning yeah. a little better than others. But, um, so you got out of there. Yeah. And then you went... Did you go straight to I Pittsburgh? went straight to Pittsburgh. Yeah, I applied for a, um, a visiting, a one-year visiting position at CMU and actually got it, which was perfect timing. And mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, I, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to apply to residencies. And then this job popped up and I applied to that one. And then I took the job. I thought it would be good to build up experience because, you know, you don't really get teaching experience. And I yeah. thought, I want to teach, so I'll do this. And then... It, one thing led to another. Somebody retires, and position opens up. Reapply, get it, and, you know, and so here I am still. Well, how how is it teaching? Yeah. Um, because I didn't start teaching until um, it was a long time. Yeah, in between when I graduated grad school, yeah. like I feel like I processed a lot in between. How is it going straight into that? Um, or is it hard to see the forest from the trees? I, you know, it's hard to say because I don't have, yeah. have any other experience. So it's, you know... I, but, but is it changing now, year after um, year? Like I've, I'm definitely uh, better at it now. Yeah. <laughs> I was really uh, kind of scatterbrained and nervous. I had a lot of anxiety about uh, mainly interactions with graduate students. I was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's not really a lot, a lot of painters at CMU. And um, so I'm already kind of... Uh, I don't know how much they would really respect what I have to say or, or want my type of feedback. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, I'm younger than or the same age as many of them. Yeah. Did you take and, the, uh, hey, we're all here together kind of approach? <laughs> um, no, you know, I tried my best to actually be kind of... Uh, Professorial? <laughs> no, not necessarily that, but maybe more uh, less social with them, yeah. I think. Um, just to really ground myself and uh, figure out my you know, where I stand here. Yeah. Um, especially uh, now that I'm here in a more permanent, you know, semi-permanent capacity at least, yeah. um, you know, being tenure track. And, and I think, I thought it was really important for me to have a, a certain level of distance. Um, not in a, you know, I don't think it's professorial necessarily, but just, you know, I don't want to be buddy-buddy with right. all of the grads. And, yeah. Um, but it was probably, I would imagine for a lot yeah. of them, it was refreshing to have someone... Yeah who's a little closer in a way, too. I remember going to Skowhegan. They, they made this... They said this thing that we're like, we're not your teachers, we're fellow artists. Right. You know? and, and they did have a kind of approach to like, mm-hmm. hey, we're, we're all just making work here. Let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. I'm not your teacher, per se. Right. And um, that kind of relaxed you, you know, yeah. and made you feel at ease about it. And yeah. I wonder if that... I mean, maybe. I think I thought about that. I, I just kind of... I, I felt, like, compounded with my age and then... On top of that, I'm a painter. I'm, I'm, I'm new. I'm a painter. I'm. I was at the time 24, starting yeah. my. You know, and yeah. um, so I, th- I thought it was really important for me to sort of have a safe distance um, right. from any of that, so that I, my feedback would be, you know, valuable and not sort of conflicting with any idea of who they thought I was as an individual or, right. um, at, you know, at my age or something like that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I think so, that was challenging. In the Pittsburgh move, did you... Um, one thing is you probably yeah. got nice space for... Not oh, money. yeah, my apartment's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's see, I think, I think that's yeah. um, something that a lot of people who listen to this will be interested in, especially younger yeah. artists. It's like this idea of can you be outside of New York or L.A. or Chicago and actually still engage? I've had a lot of conversations about that recently because I've been on the uh, MFA admissions committee at Carnegie Mellon now three years in a row, and um, I, I get that question a lot, I think, um, more on a one-on-one basis from per- perspective gra- grads that we've admitted or that we're interviewing, and that seems to be something they like to ask me specifically. Yeah. I think um, uh, I actually moved to Pittsburgh and was able to make all the work that I needed to make with an ample amount of space and time and um, you know I can really clear my mind here and not feel panicked and rushed everywhere and try mm-hmm. you know I feel like in New York I feel like I'm always trying to get somewhere else 
right. and ne- never am I where I'm actually needing yeah. to be. So <clears throat> I think, uh, yeah, I think that that's something I'm able to do in Pittsburgh. And I was lucky enough that, you know, people think, you know, you go somewhere like Pittsburgh, it's random and you're never going to make, make connections or anything like that. And I, I, um, I disagree. I've made a, a lot of my show opportunities that I've gotten actually have been through the generosity of the community in Pittsburgh and yeah. at CMU. I mean, um, you just have, other to, you have to put the effort yeah. in, right? Yeah, you know, you talk to people, you meet people, and they, you'd be surprised. The people at CMU um, really are much more connected and in tune with what's going on out in the greater art world yeah. beyond Pittsburgh. Yeah. I think it's a great misunderstanding of a lot of students when they apply to graduate school or schools in general that yeah. you have to be in New York to yeah. somehow make the connections. And it's not the case because I know plenty of people went mm-hmm. to SVA or Pratt and they're in the same boat as people who went to school yeah. you know, in Iowa. Just as, you know, you know I think it's, um, it's important to recognize what you really need um, and when you need it. So for me, I really needed space and time and to be able to actually relax and um and to make the work that i wanted to make i can't i couldn't do that here yeah i just couldn't do it yeah. in new york yeah it would, or it would just take a lot longer right. to to make it yeah. happen and you know we, I, get, I get show opportunities from really bizarre connections that um you know people are like oh well you went to yale so it's still easier and i'm like i don't know i have a lot of a lot of people went to yale yeah, uh, yeah. There's a, there's a ton of people that went to Yale, and I don't think that's necessarily it. I think it's um, you know, I I donated a piece like a print to an auction, and the guy that bought it is now the gallery that I'm represented by in Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. I showed with him at Pulse Miami, and you right. know, I think it's you'd be surprised how you can make connections. I think a lot of it just has to do with. Um, being kind to people yeah. and um, and open and receptive to, and, and actually talking to people a lot and ignoring people and being genuine. I think that's important. Yeah. And a lot of that, it goes a long way. I totally yeah. agree. I think it's just, you know, everyone wants that formula. Yeah. And there's no formula. It's really not. But I Yale is not the formula. No, the, I think yeah. the formula is, is working really hard mm-hmm. and, and getting out there, you know, yeah. and making good stuff. Yeah, definitely. So um, why don't you talk, let's talk a little bit about what you're working on now what you're showing yeah. here at um, the fair. Yeah, so I have uh, seven paintings here that I, all of them are from 2017. <laughs> so, yeah, they're all fresh out of the studio. Yeah. One of them is drying. Uh, yeah, I think uh, this body of work is all uh, a continuation kind, kind of of the past year of what I've been working on, which is um, dealing with this... Uh, a lot, mainly portraiture. Even some of them are just of hands, but it's still in a portrait format. Um, I'm using a lot of mixed media, and all of these different materials are now starting to get imbued with more meaning and specificity when they appear in the paintings. So I'm working with a, a creating my own um, queer black male mythology and origin mythology of sorts. And so there's a lot of snakes and. Um, using sequins as their scales. There's black glitter, which for me represents the nighttime sky, which is rich for uh, storytelling and thinking of constellations. and Or also the nighttime is um, a time that's uh, more possible for magic to occur. It's mm-hmm. a higher concentration and higher probability for true magic moments to occur. And so the, that's sort of what I'm dealing with in a lot of these paintings. And um, there's certain motifs that appear. I have these uh, teardrops that rain through some of the paintings, which um, maybe mean something a little differently now that Moonlight has come out, actually, which oh, is yeah. interesting. But um, for me, I, I started with these teardrop motifs, having uh, not really seen black men cry in a, in a public way or, or allowed to feel or emote um, growing up or even just uh, in film or anything like that in, in popular culture. And so I, I think... Um, you know, artists like uh, Frank Ocean more recently, maybe with mm-hmm. uh, originally what was supposed to be titled Boys Don't Cry. You know, things like that, I think, are starting to pop up more and more. Moonlight, I think, is a really uh, kind of super mega important film, and it's definitely related to a lot, a lot of what I think about. And I thought, um, so, so I don't know what's going to happen moving forward with my work uh, after Moonlight, which is interesting. I'm yeah. sure there's a ton of things being written about it, and um, I, I'm reading a lot of articles and things like that, but I'm waiting for a real, like, a dense analysis, you know, of, right. the, of the film. 
Um, yeah, that's a really kind of powerful, yeah. giant statement, a creative statement. Yeah. That yeah. kind of is a game changer in a way. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a real. I mean, I would imagine you mm-hmm. might agree that it's a really weird time right now, where it yeah. feels like a lot of things are are being opened up and said and mm-hmm. getting out and kind of being addressed. And then there's I but guess we're being oppressed from the top at the same yeah. time. So it's this uh this real push of friction that's happening, and it's and it's intense. And it I, is. I, I think um, with uh, our current obviously political, uh, you know, what's going on in the world is, is, is just insane. And I think it, people are resisting. And I think now people are really, really open to saying what they feel and, uh, you know, not letting those things go quiet. And I think yeah. that's really important. And, um, you know, I get a lot of people asking me, um, or I've had people ask me why I only paint black men or why I only, why I don't paint black women necessarily. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, I think it's really important that we, um, you know, I'm painting from, I'm making this work from a very specific point of view, one that I have not seen very publicly or um, until recently yeah. um, in Moonlight. And so I think that it's important to keep making work from all those different perspectives, those tiny um, communities that maybe don't don't get that type of exposure and keep pushing it into the ether and um, you know, um, showing it, um, having people think about it or the, even just look at it for a second is you know it might sit with them later or it might flutter into their brains later or something yeah. like that and um what, what's amazing about moonlight to me is is that uh you know it's an all black cast in every and you know it's not about slavery right mm-hmm. so it's um and it's not about servitude in any way it's um but it's also an a gay film an lgbtq film that's um not about aids yeah. Um, you know, it, it, they're telling a story that's unique and it's about, it's a coming of age. You know, it's a, it's a story about love and um, acceptance, self acceptance. Um, and, and I think that that's important to see those types of bodies of that color and, you know, um, in those positions. Of, and isn't it crazy that it, it's 2017? Yeah. And like we <laughs> finally see a movie that's a Hollywood movie yeah. that is with the ingredients that you're talking about and it's not. Like Hollywood tropes of exactly gender you know, and of race. Like Twelve Years a Slave, and you know, I, I mean, amazing film, but um, that seemed to be the only place for black actors to get recognition um, or black directors to get recognition, um, to retelling and re- recounting these stories. But you know, I, I was always kind of wanting a story about what's happening right now or more recently, and um, you know, what's it like for. Uh, somebody living right now and like uh, in Miami I mean that's an amazing story like uh, a story about a gay black man who um, you know one moment ruins his whole or, or you know that one instance where he uh, responds to a bully you know mm-hmm. totally shifts his life yeah. in this totally dark path that mimics another black man but there's also things that are, that are so beautiful because it's not it's also a black film that's maybe there are drugs involved but you um it's not about the drugs either, and right. so it's a. Uh, there are these uh, moments that happen. Uh, a black man teaching another black boy how to swim mm-hmm. is like the most magical moment for me. Um, you know, a, a black man who's a drug dealer. That's not a bad guy. Yeah. Um, you know, that's you know he's trying to do well for his family. Yeah. Um, you know, seeing all of these components, you know, they're multifaceted, layered people in these communities and they're not all just uh, scary bad dudes standing on the corner with a gun you know right. and I think that was really important for me to see yeah and, yeah. and it's odd too because I feel like sometimes comedy mm-hmm. is can be the first way to sort of get through that door yeah. when it comes to like opening up those new doors mm-hmm. but this isn't that you know no. although have yeah. you seen uh, I haven't seen it yet but the uh, is it called Get Out that's a a thriller, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I haven't seen it yet. I saw the trailer a while ago, and I thought it was a joke. Like I was like, "This is." Yeah. Um, I was like, "This is crazy." Yeah, like that they're making a film where um, a black man is in a position of being of fearing white people in a way that's not expected. Like not in a slavery setting, right? right. So it's, it's but it's it's. Um, it's interesting because I think so many 
so often white people fear black people or, or others, capital O, yeah. others, um, from, from other communities that they're not comfortable with or right. they, they don't usually like see or interact with. And I think that film, or uh, it looks like it's um, putting it, like sort of flipping the roles. Right. And I think that's so, um, I don't know if it's good or bad. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I think it's good they're doing that. I don't know if the film just, is good. Yeah. I heard it's interesting. It's or, just different. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it's important that the cliches and the, yeah. you know, the formula yeah. that Hollywood puts out. Like when's the, the movie, the horror movie with a bunch of people going to come out um, where the black guy doesn't die, the black guy or the Asian guy doesn't die first or second. Right. Like when do they get to live to the end? <laughs> Wait, there's Asian guys in cinema? Uh, yeah, they usually <laughs> die like within like two minutes, unfortunately. I didn't even know they were allowed. <laughs> yeah, well they don't, go, they don't go to the Oscars apparently. Right. Yeah. They're still... Not We're yet. working on that. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> one step at a time. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So, um, and I think it's important too because in your work that you're making work that's personal mm-hmm. and it's about it's about things that mm-hmm. are very important, but it's not in that cookie cutter, you know, kind of like programmatic. Yeah. This is what a black artist should make. Yeah, I have and no interest is, in making know, a bunch of sob story paintings or showing um, black men in pain or in grief. Um, Explicitly, or just as a singular emotion, right? Right. I, I think that sometimes that d- definitely does come up. I mean, I talked about the teardrops, but again, they're not. Um, that that's not all they are, right? So these paintings are also super glamorous and celebratory, and um, uh, you know, they're directly confronting the viewer. They're um, engaging with that viewer and uh, posing for them, gesturing for them. Um, mm-hmm. And so inviting them, and I, and I think that's important to sort of um, make it an open story that's not just a sob story. I, I think it's, it's good to, um, and again, going, going back to Moonlight, I think it's important that that film is not just sad, right? It's also right. so beautiful, and the colors in it are so amazing. The, um, all those tiny moments of like a, you know, someone coming into his, uh, inserting himself into his life and taking over as a father. Mm-hmm. position like that's so beautiful to me or or uh, the reuniting at the end of the two men and um, that it doesn't end in a really uh, simple way it's not a happy ending but it's also not a terribly sad ending I think it's just kind it feels of feels like it could be a real end it could be right. just real you yeah. know I think um, and life goes on and I think yeah. that's important to not just represent uh, other communities or individuals as uh, a singularly sad or singularly um, angry or anything yeah. because they're so multifaceted. Do you feel, what's your interest with contemporary music and mm-hmm. as a parallel? Because I feel like, well, you were talking about Frank Ocean, there's, mm-hmm. there is a similar kind of like trope to certain yeah. music and the yeah. posturing that's involved with that. But mm-hmm. I know that you are a music yeah. fan. Yeah, so I, I, you know, I think it's um, it's interesting. So there's people, I've actually made a series of prints and that they're still ongoing and I, um, and they're sort of like almost heroes of mine that are that are somehow uh, using queerness or like so for example Johnny Mathis historically um, is a gay man came out publicly and then was threatened back into the closet right, right? and then to continue his career yeah um, Frank Ocean uh, releases an open statement not explicitly saying he's gay right. not ex- not saying that um, saying that he had a an intimate relationship with another man or, yeah. or an attraction of some sorts. Um, we have all these people that are almost coming out. We have uh, Prince who's not really, who was, you know, who's super glamorous and using queer language and, um, and benefiting from that on tour mm-hmm. um, and music videos. And um, and so it, it happens a lot in music and, and in popular culture. And I, I'm really interested in um, looking at those who are using it uh, that maybe are othered in that way or mm-hmm. are queer, or, um, but, but they're not fully engaging with the community or, or fully saying that they're out and making that real statement. I think Frank Ocean, Frank Ocean more recently is maybe doing that. He still hasn't said, I'm gay, yeah. but he's you know, writing music about men and his relationships with them. And I right. think that that's um, maybe... I think that's interesting that he had to sort of hide it to gain recognition and then almost kind of sort of came out mm-hmm. um, and still hasn't really but uh, to have that success because you know there's a ton of like underground music uh, or in you know New York or LA that's happening that um, like Leaf I think is 
a good example of um, showing queerness and, and and being very openly queer in, in his lyrics and how he presents himself, how he performs. Um, and I just think that there's, uh, but he's not getting that same recognition in popular culture. Right. So he, I, I think I'm waiting for that point where we can um, just be open from the beginning and not have yeah. to hide and then come out. Well, you know, it's that yeah. might be partially too. I'm hoping that mm-hmm. in the current situation of how. Yeah. It feels like over the past eight years, yeah. there was sort of this feeling of like, oh, things are getting better. Like mm-hmm. people are more accepting. And then it hits to a point to where it's almost like you have to have this breaking point to mm-hmm. where people are just like the other side are just going yeah. to fully erupt. And then you totally expose it under the light yeah. to sort of get over it. Yeah, because I think about that, that with anything. I mean, looking at like romantic comedies or even um, just any sort of romance movies or films and thinking about how they, um, in order for them to be successful or make a lot of money or um, be relatable to people, it needs to be a white man and a white woman yeah. falling in love, right? So, like, why why can't... And, and that's what's so amazing about and so important about films like Moonlight is that they can talk about love and that's, that's what's relatable there. Mm-hmm. Hope you know people have this uh, idea in their heads that things are getting better, and they are. But I, I do think that they're getting better, maybe at at a different rate than what it seems, right? So um, I, I still think that there's and there's amazing documentaries that shed some light on this. There's a docu series that I really have been enjoying with um, Ellen Page, actually, uh-huh. Gaycation. Oh, Gaycation. Sheds light on yeah, the on world. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I mean, I think that type of stuff. If we can get more uh, people watching that type of thing, they'll realize, like, oh, wait, yes, it's it's getting better here, kind of, yeah. at a very slow <laughs> rate, um, and, and, and only in the way we're like, oh, we, like, yeah, like, oh, you're gay, that's fine, it's okay, right, so it's, like, that's fine, but it's also not, um, you know, no one's rushing to the movies to see a romantic comedy about two gay men, right, right. so, or, so it's just little things like that, or, that, that are still a little frustrating. I think it's um, it's racism and homophobia in a way that people don't expect. Um, right. They they don't even realize that they're um, that it's still here. It's, it's still happening. It's yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it's exactly. under the surface ingrained. Mm-hmm. It's a combination of uh, an unwillingness to fully kind of get past that, right. and also institutionalized yeah. and things that are just under the surface that people mm-hmm. don't even realize. Yeah, so many people so often don't even realize that they're looking um, when, you know, in institutions when hiring or when um, I, I notice it doing uh, admissions processes or uh, interviewing people or even seeing who's getting jobs where. And um, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think that people want to see themselves so much in... Um, or it's more easily relatable for them, so it, it's easy for them to think that someone that looks like them is better or the right. best option. Yeah. And so they don't even notice that it's happening. But yeah. that, that's, um, I don't want to say racist because people are, are so scared of that word, but it is. I mean, it's, yeah. it's um, and, and we need to just recognize it, call it out when it's happening, accept it, and then work on it. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think a, a large part of the problem, too, mm-hmm. is perception of media. And how oh, yeah. things are broadcast to people who have no experience yeah. with the uh, the other, yeah. you know. I think also with um, thinking about popular culture—not even popular culture necessarily—but how people perceive, um, for example, black people just uh, as either really poor or really really wealthy. So mm-hmm. people think, oh no, black people are doing super well because look, we have this one black CEO, or look at Beyonce, so rich she's the, like the one of the richest black women, or Oprah. But then the other end is like. You know, where are all these people in the middle? Like, wh- where am I represented in? in yeah, the middle class. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, where are all these people that are living <laughs> pretty regular lives? You know, like, why isn't that being pushed more? And I think shows like, um, actually, there's a new show from uh, Issa Rae on uh, HBO. It's called, um, oh, God, what is that show called? It's, uh, she, she, she had a, a YouTube series originally called mm-hmm. Awkward Black Girl mm-hmm. that just became a TV show on HBO, and um, and she's show and it's basically like 
I mean, you could say it's the black version of girls, but it's, I think it's much more complicated than that. But they are um, black women, and they're in, um, I believe, the Bay Area or L.A. or something like that, and li- living their lives and, I, um, you know, embracing their sexuality and um, dating and all of these other th- things that people need to see that. Yeah. Regular black women going and doing these things that you think that maybe they don't do because they're either really rich and living these high-profile profile amazing lives or they're really really poor and uh, on drugs or involved in crime or anything like that yeah it's not for some reason people think the Cosby show existed and that's good forever yeah like that's all we need to portray (laughs) that's definitely not something we need yeah Yeah. exactly but you know what I mean it's like oh that that happens and that's yeah you know it needs to be that portrayed more all of that stuff totally so um one other thing is a question. Do people ever ask you how, how your work relates to being a Japanese artist? Um, that, you know, <laughs> Do you ever get that? that it does happen, um, like, more than, I, <laughs> more than I would say. Has it been written about with, like, a sort of a Japanese... Um, no. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I think um, usually people can tell. I mean, right, most right. of the work is not, not of a Japanese I wouldn't put it past someone um, to miss the boat. Yeah, no, I get asked about my last name a lot. They um, meet me and then realize, like, oh, okay, that makes more sense. Like, when they actually see me, um, <laughs> and, you know, and they ask, and then they ask about my last name. So why is your last name? And I'm like, because that's my dad's last name. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. But, which is this, I mean, that's the truth. Why is anybody's last name what it is? But, um, but you know, I know what their real question is, like, are you Japanese? And the answer is yes, but um, yeah. do, do I identify with that Japanese culture? No, not really. I, you know, I've, I've never been to Japan. Right, <laughs> so, right. Um, I don't know any of my family members that look Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it does happen. It's, yeah. it's funny. Yeah. I mean, I, I took I, Japanese, and when the teacher on the first day of class called my name, they looked... Like, <laughs> Every, I'm like raising my hand trying to flag them. I'm just like, they're it's like, me, no, it's no, me. No, and they're like, no, no, no. no the other one. Yeah. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. Did you enjoy it? Um, yeah, yeah. I thought Japanese, well, I took Chinese in high school, so actually. Um, How many years? Four years. Whoa. Uh, it was very hard. Mandarin? Uh, Mandarin. Yeah. Um, it was very hard to speak. I, but what was great about it was that um, when I went to go take Japanese, Japanese is easier to speak. And, um, and I, I still have a harder time understanding when someone's speaking it to me, but uh, or listening to it. But in terms of like writing or reading, mm-hmm. it's way easier having taken Chinese before. Right, right. I'm um, reading kanji and that type of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you have coming up after this? So, uh, actually, in Pittsburgh, I have a show, a two-person show coming up at the Pittsburgh Center for the Arts. Uh, that's at the end of this month, and I'm mm-hmm. only showing. Uh, Objects, actually. Nice. Objects and a wall installation. Um, and then uh, in, let's see, in November, I have an exhibition, a solo exhibition at um, David DeBuck Gallery. Uh-huh. Uh, and then in January, I have a solo <laughs> exhibition at Samuel Freeman in Los Angeles. And then in summer 2018, I have a solo exhibition at the War Hall Museum in Pittsburgh. That's pretty So amazing. that's like my lineup. This is the first time I've had a, a, a lineup this far in advance knowing when I'm having things. Right. Yeah. So it's really nice. I can actually pace myself with working. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to take like a two-year sabbatical here? I will. It's exhausting. (laughs) It's a lot of work that I'm making. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great to be in and rolling and and sort of like in that moment, you know, and have those. Sometimes it's really great having those those destinations. I'm, I'm trying to make the work early in advance you know in advance so in june i'm going out to los angeles and i'm doing a residency there and making my work for my show in january nice <laughs> yeah so trying to get a bunch of work done um ahead of time sounds good yeah. and where can people see your stuff online uh devin and social media and social media at devin Shimoyama. it's so easy on instagram um that's it i'm not on anything else just yeah, instagram yeah. and that's my website all. yeah sounds good thanks a lot for talking right. thank you
Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. The new intro and outro music, the music you're hearing right now, is from Jacob Tutu. It's off of his new record, Dashed, Marked, Crossed. And you can check it out on his Bandcamp page, jacob2-2.bandcamp.com. Please take three minutes and rate and review the podcast on iTunes. It really helps. I'll also be doing live animation visuals for Logan Takahashi at Elsewhere on November 3rd as he's opening up for the electronic music legends The Orb. Come check it out. Thank you all for listening and supporting Sound and Vision.